Hello and welcome to Essential Descent. I'm Wilton Vaught, producer and host of the series. This episode is audio from a webinar entitled Capitalism is Killing Us from COVID-19 to Crashing Markets. The webinar, the first in a planned weekly series of webinars, was sponsored by Workers' World Party, a revolutionary Marxist-Leninist political party that supports the struggles of all oppressed peoples. You can find them online at workers.org. We start with moderator Sarah Flounders of Workers' World Party and the International Action Center. Everyone who's joined this call knows that the whole world is in the grip of a pandemic, and that means that millions of people are facing their own personal crises. The capitalist for-profit system has meant 300 years of chaos, crisis, racism, and war. And here in the center of imperialism, we are faced with an unparalleled disaster. It's a health crisis and a financial crisis, a stock market freefall, massive layoffs, the whole country and most of the world in semi-quarantine, but it's all carried out piecemeal and without a plan. So we first want to extend to all of you participating tonight our warmest solidarity during this time of crisis. Our connecting with each other is so important. It's key to building resistance. This is a crisis that will create sharp revolutionary changes in workers' consciousness. Of that, we can be sure. No planning means hospitals here in the epicenter of the virus in New York and in New Jersey face not enough masks, respirators, not enough ventilators, not enough hospital beds, and we're far from the peak and already facing desperate shortages. Millions of workers who have no protection in the best of times are realizing that in a crisis, they have nothing they need except shortages and their ability to organize. The bailouts for the corporate rich are staggering, and for the rest of us, it's not enough for food and to pay rent and to pay the bills. It can't stretch it no matter what is given in emergency money. We'll have a lot to talk about in the weeks ahead because resistance is soaring. Amazon and Whole Food workers are organizing a mass sick out for next Tuesday, March 31st. There are many forces who are organizing rent strikes starting next Wednesday. April 1st. So we're going to be talking about this on Thursday, April 2nd. People are more isolated physically than at any time in history, and yet they're connecting globally like never before. In the face of Trump's possible call for an Easter back to work, there's growing calls for a general strike the next day, Monday, April 13th. This is a time of explosive change. Even the United Nations Secretary General has called for ending all the sanctions on a third of the world. And we see that while Trump has little to offer here at home, there are new threats globally. The sanctions on Iran and Venezuela have actually become harsher. The new threats today on Venezuela are the most dangerous with the U.S. indictment of President Maduro. This is dangerous. So while COVID-19 is spreading like wildfire in the prisons and migrant detention centers, Trump has offered a bounty on President Maduro. 
And at the same time, the U.S. is demanding that every country refuse Cuba's freely offered life-saving interferon alpha-2b, something that was shown very successful in China and around the world. And meanwhile, China has offered a global health belt and road program globally to every country in need. But what does U.S. imperialism have to offer? So we're going to open tonight's program with the 10 demands that Workers' World Party has put forward. As Frederick Douglass said, power concedes nothing without struggle, without demands. And raising demands resonates and it will encourage others to raise demands. So I'm going to ask Nate Chase to come online. Hey, everybody. My name is Nate Chase. Thank you for being with us this evening. Last week, as the COVID-19 crisis continued to sharpen in the United States and around the world, Workers' World Party put out a list of 10 demands to fight for and to serve as the basis for organizing workers and oppressed people. Our first demand is one that is surely on the minds of all progressive people in the United States, free health care for all. That means free health care, not just for the duration of this crisis, but permanent free health care for all, a basic human right. The U.S. must immediately import and mass produce COVID-19 tests, personal protective equipment, and ventilators at the highest rate of production, and provide treatment to all free of charge. How many working and oppressed people in the United States are seriously ill right now with COVID-19, but are afraid to go to the hospital because they can't afford treatment? The barbarism of denying health care to millions of people through outrageous costs and insurance premiums must end. Free health care for all now. Two, nationalize the health care system under community control. Build emergency hospitals. Every day, the disorganized, private, for-profit health care system proves itself incapable of providing basic care to working and oppressed people. And this was the case before the COVID-19 crisis. The private for for-profit production of medical supplies has created a horrifying situation. Hospitals, cities, other government bodies are now competing with one another to purchase limited supplies, driving up prices and super profits for the ruling class. The cruelty of capitalism is on full display when even the gravest public health crises during which the system prioritizes profits over human life. It is long past time the healthcare system be nationalized and unified to provide effective, accessible, and free treatment to all. This must take place under community control, that is the control of working and oppressed people, to ensure nationalization is for our benefits, not corporate profits. The U.S. has finally gotten around to building emergency hospitals, but the for-profit system is incapable of responding with the speed or scale seen in China, where a planned economy, where economic planning allowed enormous hospitals to be constructed in just days, and where now the COVID-19 epidemic is under control. Number three, full pay, benefits, and guaranteed income for all. The heroic essential workers in healthcare and many other industries who continue to work through this crisis must receive hazard pay. Those laid off must continue to receive full pay and benefits, and those who fall ill or otherwise unable to work must be provided with a guaranteed income. 
Now is the time for workers to fight to improve their conditions. It is precisely in times of crisis, when the power of the working class is most visible, that the ruling class and its media lapdogs call for labor peace for the sake of the country. To that, we say no. Now is the time to fight, like Amazon workers who won paid time off last week, like Trader Joe's workers who won time and a half hazard pay, like the Boston school bus drivers who just won a full pay throughout this crisis. Now, there's great articles on workers.org about all these struggles. I encourage all of you to go check them out and see lots of all the other wonderful news covering the struggles of working and oppressed people here and around the globe you can find on workers.org. Number four, food, housing, medical supplies, and utilities, including internet, for all. During a time of crisis, when many are out of work and confined to their homes, it is essential food be distributed along with basic medical supplies. Internet, utilities, including internet, which is so important for communication right now, must be provided and all shutoffs suspended. Working and oppressed people have the right to expropriate and distribute all resources that are held hostage through hoarding and price gouging. Empty and luxury housing must be repurposed as housing for homeless people. If and when the government refuses to take this step, working and oppressed people should expropriate the property and put it to good use. Five, suspend rent, evictions, mortgages, utility shutoffs, and all debt. Evictions are an inhumane, horrible expression of capitalist cruelty. Unacceptable in normal times, they are doubly so during a public health crisis when homelessness almost guarantees contracting COVID-19. While a number of states and cities have suspended evictions, sheriffs and police have in some cases continued to carry them out, always loyal to the landlords and the ruling class. The organized fight back of working and oppressed people is necessary to push back the cops. Without a suspension of rent, mortgages, utility shutoffs, and debt payments, a one-time stimulus check is just a subsidy for landlords, banks, and the ruling class in general. Number six, prioritize resources for communities of color, migrants, LGBTQ2 plus people, seniors, youth, and people with disabilities. During any crisis, the effects are always felt by the most oppressed. We can expect the ruling class to target oppressed communities and exclude them from support programs. It is insufficient for progressive forces to call for the rights and needs of all, but just leave it at that. Special attention must be paid to struggles against racism, xenophobia, homophobia, transphobia, ageism, and ableism. Uplifting the struggles of the most oppressed is a necessary condition for victory. Seven, empty the prisons and detention centers, shut down ICE, end racist attacks. The cramped, inhumane, unsanitary conditions inside prisons and migrant detention centers make it impossible to carry out social distancing and other basic measures to combat COVID-19. Regardless of the crisis, these racist institutions, the legacy of slavery, Jim Crow, and settler expansion over indigenous lands serve no useful purpose and should be shut down anyway. No special conditions are required to call for the abolition of a racist, fascist institution like ICE, but it is particularly appalling that it continues to detain migrants during this crisis. Racist attacks against Asian people have escalated, 
and must be opposed, along with arguments made by right-wing eco-fascist forces that the deaths of millions of black, brown, and indigenous people would be beneficial to the environment. This disgusting, twisted ideology will be used to justify racist repression, withholding of resources, and genocide during the COVID-19 crisis, and must be defeated by revolutionary and progressive forces. Number eight, community control. No cops, no military. The control of communities by working and oppressed people during a crisis is essential to effectively and justly organize the distribution of resources and to oppose state repression by the police and military. The ruling class always seeks to use crises to tighten the vice on oppressed people, crush dissent, and encourage fascist vigilante violence. Unless working and oppressed people are fighting for control and oversight, necessary aid programs will be used as vehicles to increase surveillance and working class control. Number nine, two trillion to the workers, not the banks. Last week, when Workers' World Party called for a $2 trillion bailout, I doubt anyone expected the Senate to pass such a measure. And make no mistake, they have not. The vast majority of funds and programs included in the stimulus package go to corporations and banks, that is, the ruling class. It includes a half-trillion-dollar slush fund controlled by the Trump administration with only token oversight. Only a small portion will go to working and oppressed people. As outlined in the previous demands, we must fight for free health care, guaranteed incomes, full pay and benefits for laid-off workers, food distributions, free housing, not bailouts to the banks, that the Senate could suddenly conjure $2 trillion to give to the working class after years of saying that basic social programs are unavoidable, exposes really what is and isn't affordable. California announced plans to move homeless people into hotels to combat COVID-19. But why couldn't they have done that two months ago or 20 years ago? The fact is, they could have. They always could have, but they chose not to because the ruling class does not care about working and oppressed people. As far as the capitalist ruling class is concerned, working and oppressed people exist only to ensure their profits. How we live or die matters little to them. What a barbarous system that despite the development of the productive forces to a level capable of meeting all the needs of the people, it instead imposes poverty and death on billions at home and abroad. And that leads to our 10th and final demand. End U.S. wars, sanctions, and environmental construction, destruction. 39 countries, one-third of the world, live under U.S. sanctions, really a type of economic war that deprives the most vulnerable of food, medicine, and other basic needs in order to pressure countries into submission to U.S. imperialism. U.S. sanctions have had an enormous impact on Iran's ability to combat COVID-19 by making it almost impossible for Iran to purchase medicine and medical supplies. This is also the case in Venezuela, where U.S. sanctions have killed at least 40,000 people over the past two years. U.S. sanctions have also had an impact here at home. A Cuban and Chinese antiviral drug Interferon Alpha-2B has been effectively deployed in China to treat COVID-19. But it's not available here due to the U.S. blockade of Cuba. Cuba has offered to send aid to the United States, but the U.S. refuses to accept it. And it must be said that for millions of working and oppressed people around the world, U.S. wars, sanctions, environmental destruction, and imperialism 
mean that the possibility of contracting a deadly infectious disease without access to healthcare is not a new thing brought about by the academic, the pandemic of COVID-19. It is a daily reality. Now, one might say the number of these demands seem unrealistic, impossible to win, even, even as so much that seemed impossible a few weeks ago now seems possible or inevitable. And I'd say that's half right. Under capitalism, as long as society is controlled by a tiny, ultra-rich capitalist class, society will never be organized to provide housing for all, to ensure that everyone has access to health care, or meet any of the other radical demands I raised before. No, we can organize to win struggles and make progress under capitalism, but to fully achieve these demands will require nothing less than a socialist revolution led by working and oppressed people to overthrow the ruling class, smash racism, imperialism, misogyny, homophobia, transphobia, ageism, and ableism, seize the means of production, and organize society around the the needs of many, not the profits of a few. Thank you. You're listening to Essential Dissent. This episode is audio from a webinar entitled Capitalism is Killing Us, From COVID-19 to Crashing Markets. The webinar, the first in a planned weekly series of webinars, was sponsored by Workers' World Party, a revolutionary Marxist-Leninist political party that supports the struggles of all oppressed peoples. You can find them online at workers.org. We just heard from Nate Chase of Workers' World Party, Next up is Mikasi Motema of People's Power Assemblies. So I just wanted to talk about how we win these demands because it's a world-changing list of demands that we have. So I think we should look at why these demands are so important. For one thing, to give in to these demands would be to completely destabilize and destroy the ruling class. The ruling class is literally incapable of giving us the things that we know that we need. Free healthcare, for example. Healthcare spending is 17% of US GDP. To give free healthcare to everyone, that would destroy the private industry, the private insurance industry, or destroy their profits. The stock market would go with it. Or, for example, closing prisons, uh, the private prison industry, that's $5 billion per year. So, when we raise these demands, what we really show is that the capitalist structure we have now is incompatible with decent human life. The fact that these demands that we, that that they can't actually give us these demands and yet that we need them so much shows this contradiction and that it's really us or them. And that's really important because right now with this crisis, people are looking at these 10 demands and they sound like exactly what we need to have. So This is a huge opportunity to change the conversation and to push our organizing forward. Now, in order to achieve these kinds of demands, we have to politically agitate. When we raise these demands and we say everyone in the world, everyone in this country and everyone in the world needs these things, needs these basic functions, and the ruling class can't provide it for us, that raises the justified anger that people have. And it's important that the working class gets in touch with that anger because there's no reason that we in the working class should have to identify 
with the ruling class. We should be angry at them. We should understand that the reason we don't have the things we need is because they take it from us. And beyond political agitation, we also need to do political education. That's why we're holding this forum in the first place. And political organization. The working class needs to be organized into durable political organizations that are participatory and democratic because it's vital for people to understand that they can have a say in their own lives and that they can direct their own political lives. Right now we have a situation where we just watch CNN and we watch these politicians sort of decide everything and we can see that they're making completely incorrect decisions. They're completely out of touch with reality, but we have no effect on it. When people start to organize, all of a sudden that changes. And the most interesting thing is that what starts off as demands, what starts off as a, as a list of 10 demands, transitions into a list of goals. Because it's not a demand that we're asking from a capitalist ruling class who we know does not care about us. It's a demand that we can physically take back ourselves because the power is ours. And that's why we organize. We organize to see our own numbers so that we can talk to people who we're organizing with and see how many people agree with us, see how many people are eager to change their conditions, to see that we're not alone, to see that we actually have the resources to reappropriate the means of production, to take control of our industries, to take control of our own security, to take control of hospitals. That gives us power. And it completely changes the way people look at the world. So organizing is totally, totally essential. And the other thing is that it's important that we're creating a network of people who can rapidly respond to problems as they come up. With Donald Trump in the White House and a deteriorating capitalist economy, there's going to be another crisis. So when we, when we push for demands like rent, like a rent strike or, or a general strike, or when, it, when it's clear that there's an emergency and we need to do this, if we can network and if we can connect and, and um, organize and have a really connected, disciplined, organizational structure, we can immediately put out those calls and immediately un- respond to crises as they come up and finally start to push back against the ruling class. So in closing, I would just say that organizing isn't just something that I think would be great. It's something that we have a duty to do. You know, there are people sitting in concentration camps right now exposed to COVID-19. These are innocent families. They don't have a choice about where they are. If you're on the outside, you have a responsibility to organize, to put an end to this horrible system that's destroying their lives. And that goes for, for all the things we're talking about, the sanctions that are killing people around the world. It doesn't matter what the issue is. You name it, it's a problem. And we have, we have a responsibility to organize around it. You have a responsibility to talk to people around you, to bring them together. You have a responsibility to agitate them, to get them mad as hell at capitalists. You have a responsibility to polit- politically educate people. And you have a responsibility to get together with them and fight against the system. So that's some of the stuff where we're going to be talking about on Thursdays. And I encourage you, if you want to organize with us, you can join Workers World on our website. You can go to the join page and join Workers World. That would be one great way to do it. So that's all for me. Thank you. Thank you, Makasi. We next want to bring up Larry Holmes, first secretary of Workers World Party. Good evening, comrades and friends, fellow revolutionaries. We all feel 
fear, fear of getting sick, fear of dying, fear of losing our jobs, fear that our personal situation and the situation of our loved ones and friends uh, is so unpredictable at this time of great crisis. But nonetheless, I'm here to remind you that this is an important moment for all of us who are fighting to do away with the capitalist system. What is happening, whether we realize it or not, is a big step in that direction. I think many of us thought that the climate crisis that threatens the future of the planet would expose capitalism's bankruptcy on a mass level sooner or later. Well, the COVID-19 pandemic is doing that job in a few months or even a few weeks. Capitalism has been hurtling toward a disaster for some time, especially since the 2008 collapse of the global financial system. But this pandemic has pushed capitalism into a very public turning point. Here are a few fairly obvious observations and contradictions. A system that puts profits before people at a time like this means social devastation, suffering and death when it's confronted with a pandemic like this. Capitalism breaks down under the pressure of a pandemic like this. Capitalist globalization in many ways has magnified the problem of the pandemic because it has enabled the pandemic to spread to many more places across the globe much quicker than that would have happened at an earlier time in history. However, the silver lining in that is that globalization also helps workers and oppressed people of the world organize. And I believe that the fact that it is a global crisis tends to remind people that we're all in this together, that we're interdependent. It tends to strengthen solidarity and weaken racism and xenophobia, not as much as we like, but that's the direction moving forward. The capitalist economic crisis was not caused by this pandemic. It was already there. The system was sick, fragile, on life support. What the pandemic did was push this system like the last straw, knocking the system over like a house of cards. Because of that, no matter what the Federal Reserve does, it can keep pumping trillions of dollars, printing money into the financial system, bailing out the banks, bailing out the big corporations, but there will be no return. There will be no return to the way that the capitalist economy seemed even a few months ago. What we're seeing is the development of at a minimum a worldwide recession slash depression slash something even worse than that that we'll have to be making up new words and characterizations to define. 
this morning when the capitalist media announced the numbers of people who needed to file for unemployment, it was not only in the millions, it amounted to more than 3% of the entire workforce in one week, five, six times the numbers of workers that have to apply for unemployment, even during a recession. And those numbers don't reflect all of the workers who could not apply because the uh, state unemployment uh, websites crashed. People couldn't complete their forms. And part-time workers and temporary workers and so-called independent contractors and many migrants and many gig workers aren't even eligible for unemployment benefits. The bottom line, comrades and friends, is that as revolutionaries, we must seize this opportunity. We must take care of each other, do the best that we can to see that each of us remains healthy and is able to go about what they need to do and fight back. But the struggles are mounting, as other speakers said. Struggles are taking place now. There's the rent strike plan for April 1st. Healthcare workers are fighting back. Amazon workers are fighting back. Migrant workers are fighting back. Restaurant workers are fighting back. The unemployed will be fighting back soon. Prisoners will be fighting back. Workers are striking all over the world against this crisis. Some are even calling for a general strike if Trump tries to force people to go to work and get sick and die after April. We should be involved in all of this, learn from it, make new allies. Out of all of this will come larger and larger struggles, revolutionary struggles that will change everything, much larger than the Bernie Sanders campaign, as significant as that has been. Our challenge, comrades and friends, is to come together, work together as revolutionaries united, build a new force that keeps growing and growing until it's unstoppable, a force with a socialist vision, a force that is dedicated to making that vision a living reality. Now is our time. Thank you. You're listening to Essential Dissent. This episode is audio from a webinar entitled Capitalism is Killing Us from COVID-19 to Crashing Markets. The webinar, the first in a planned weekly series of webinars, was sponsored by Workers' World Party, a revolutionary Marxist-Leninist political party that supports the struggles of all oppressed peoples. You can find them online at workers.org. We just heard from Larry Holmes of Workers' World Party. Next up is Taryn Fivik of the International Action Center. You know, it really is important for all of us to stay connected during this difficult time because of how hard things are going to be as we go ahead into the future. I just want to ask everybody who's on the call to think about this to yourself, you know, kind of digest this question of what is your life worth? To a capitalist, it's worth only what they think it's worth to their own profit margins. 
Perhaps people in the U.S. were startled by the implication that, quote, the cure is worse than the disease, you know, with the social distancing. Perhaps they were shocked by the lieutenant governor of Texas saying that he knows that he himself would be willing to die to avoid another crisis of capital, a loss of empire. Perhaps people were shook up when we were told that the federal government is unwilling to step in and take measures, including the Defense Production Act, in order to save lives. And yet that it's also found the will and the means and the way to bomb Iraq, to indict the president of Venezuela as a drug dealer, and keep starving Iran as it's digging mass graves for its dead with sanctions. But empire is only as good as its imperial holdings, including its internal colonies. Anything that threatens its continued plunder and accumulation is unacceptable to capital and from their perspective must die immediately. They're starting to talk about this as a war and they implore us to make sacrifices by going back to work for capital, by paying our rent, by foregoing equipment and protective gear on the job. But we know that this is class war. And so our orientation has to be one of revolutionary defeatism. It is sometimes hard to convince workers that we are worth no more to capital than the millions of people it annually starves and murders elsewhere. After all, within the United States, we can see that in the eyes of the police, certain lives are certainly worth more than others. The military, for sure, is not in the regular habit of turning the guns on U.S. passport holders. We see the continued genocide in the ICE concentration camps, in the prisons, and no doubt there are still some workers who believe that because they are not there themselves, because it is not their family starving from sanctions or dying from sanctions, that we, whoever we is, must surely be worth more to these imperialists. But they are wrong, comrades and friends. They are wrong. To be sure, a contradiction has already been growing in the United States. Bernie Sanders was one manifestation of this changing tide. People in the U.S. think about the world differently than they did 10, 20 years ago. The same technologies that have deepened their power on how we relate to one another has also offered us the opportunity to communicate with each other nonetheless and to learn from each other. This Zoom meeting being an excellent example of that. The entitlement and individualism that many in the U.S. are drilled with since birth has now come full circle for the imperialists. We want to defend our lives and the lives of our elders. We want universal health care, power on the job, higher wages. We want futures. We do not believe the government when it tells us things. We want wars to end. The only time that empire will turn on its own is when it is about to see that the masses are in motion, the contradictions heightening. And if I were to tell you as an economist that the sudden upheaval in the markets was already in motion before the pandemic broke, would you believe me? If I told you that this was a fox in the hen house moment for capitalism, would you believe me? They already know that their profits are dwindling. If anything, there are just too damn many of us. This pandemic provides them with an opportunity to, in the words of the British government, call the herd and terrorize us all into submission. Our class has something very important and very visceral in common at this point in time. Anyone can die of this disease. And whether you're black, brown, white, migrant, non-migrant, able body or no, sick or well, whatever your gender, your rent is due next week. 
Make no mistake, the essential workers that we rely on for the basics of our lives, who are forced by the wage relation to still go to work delivering food, carrying the mail, working a cash register, cleaning up after medical intubations, manufacturing hand sanitizer in prison at gunpoint, are overwhelmingly black and brown people. And this, again, is going to heighten the contradictions. As they increasingly become sick and die, so will everyone else. They are victims of medical apartheid and racism, of gross criminal negligence due to environmental racism and police murder. Folks know that as as they spray down their Amazon boxes on delivery, as they suit up on their way to the store. But no matter to capital, Donald Trump wants us all back to work in a week, whatever death toll needed to save the rich and their hoarded wealth that they stole from us. We are all only worth something to them as long as we are fattening their wallets, We only deserve a home when we can pay the rent. We only deserve a job when we've totally surrendered to the wage relation. We only deserve health care if we can pay for it. All other workers are seen as expendable. And this is nowhere as clearly seen as how this country is treating the incarcerated right now. Already tortured, already fed rat poison, already chained to beds while giving birth, this section of our class that is the most revolutionary are the ones that are kept in cages, whether in ISIS concentration camps or on Rikers Island or even Guantanamo Bay. Capitalism has slated these people for destruction and intends to let the fire of this plague clean out their ranks. We must do everything in our power to see them get free. We are not willing to die for Wall Street's profits, and we cannot let this section of our class be sacrificed on the altar of capital either. The plague threatens their lives, but the U.S. imperialists are the ones who are turning these concentration camps for the poor into death camps. To that end, even though we are currently self-isolating, we must keep up the pressure on them however we can to get them to close these death camps down. In many areas across the country, activists are raising the banner of the hashtag free them all and hashtag let them go. Our revolutionary family inside of Rikers and in prisons across the country, including ice concentration camps, have already launched hunger strikes and work stoppages. We must make sure that they know we hear them. We must do everything in our power to amplify their voices. Because to a capitalist, life is worth nothing as long as it fattens their profits. But to a socialist, life is worth everything. That's what our movement is about. It's about life. It's about love and solidarity. One can see the legions of Cuban doctors courageously lining up to go into harm's way in the interest of saving as many lives as possible as an example to emulate. While the U.S. sends bombs and withholds life-saving medication and equipment from people, China is sending doctors, nurses, equipment, and life-saving medication. Revolutionaries in the Philippines are raising demands and sending doctors into the countryside. All of these revolutionaries, above all else, also send information, not just medical information on how best to treat this deadly plague, but also something about the absolute life and death necessity at this time of solidarity, that one principle which must guide all revolutionaries. Fidel said, why should some people walk barefoot so that others can travel in luxurious cars? Why should some live for 35 years so that others can live for 70 years? Why should some be miserably poor so that others can be hugely rich? I speak on behalf of the children in the world who do not have a piece of bread. I speak on the behalf of the sick who have no medicine, of those whose rights to life and human dignity have been denied.
And so we as revolutionaries must do our part and keep speaking truth to power during this challenging time ahead. We must train, we must get sharp, we must read and study and connect with one another and be ready to emerge from this fighting. Our class needs us perhaps now more than ever. So please, you can go online, you can share this message of the call-ins, of the hashtag campaign, but I really encourage all revolutionaries to please keep the most vulnerable of our class in their hearts and minds right now and be ready to come out of this swinging because we're going to need it. Thank you. Thank you, Taryn. It's really an honor to introduce our next speaker, which is Monica Moorhead. Monica is an editor of Workers' World newspaper. Comrades, friends, and allies, I would like to echo what my previous comrades have already implored for all of you all to do, which is to stay safe and healthy, despite the unhealthy system of capitalism that we are all living under. I want to spend several minutes to say that it is of the utmost importance to understand the historical role of a revolutionary newspaper to tell class truth, working class truth, to agitate for the interest of our class on a global scale against the billionaire ruling class, to fight for transitional demands for our class, as was expressed in the socialist demands that both Makasi and Nate outlined. And these demands are very important for the most oppressed under capitalism. These are tasks leading towards ultimately fighting for socialism and communism as the only options to win complete liberation for the billions of super-exploited workers and oppressed. For over 60 years, since Workers' World Party was founded in 1959, our paper has put out a weekly print issue since the mid-1970s. In general, our paper has reflected our party's political worldview by giving voice to those who have been the most marginalized, vulnerable, and demonized based on their nationality, gender, gender expression, sexual preference, and much more. But now to be more specific, with this COVID-19 pandemic that has shaken the world, including the global markets to their very core, like no other crisis, since 100 years ago, while the role of our paper has not fundamentally changed, how we produce the paper has. Since the party has had to shut down our operations at the Solidarity Center, along with other organizations that also included our weekly mailing of our printed issue to our branches, our at-large areas, and prisoners who receive our paper free. Not only have we put more of our resources, including human resources, into posting more articles online on a daily basis, but also putting out a PDF that reflects what the printed issue would look like, except now we can use multiple colors for our PDF. We're not hampered by the tremendous cost 
of putting out a color printed issue. We are prioritizing making issues of the PDF to send to some of the prisoners who rely so much on the paper to keep in touch with the outside world being kept behind prison walls, as Terrence so eloquently talked about. In fact, our party, and I'm proud to say this, just reestablished a prison page in our paper, which was first set up in the 1970s during the upsurge of prison rebellions in Soledad, San Quentin, and of course, the heroic Attica Prison Rebellion. We have two young members, Marinda in the Houston Party branch and Ted in the Philadelphia branch. And these two cities are very, very important because they have such high numbers of prisoners of color, including those on death row. And these two young comrades are coordinating this page whenever there is important news to report, along with important campaigns initiated by prisoners and for prisoners. For instance, the Rikers Island prison strike that occurred a few days ago when the prisoners were denied any kind of medical care in the midst of the COVID-19 crisis as the top article of this week's of the first prison page. These concentration camps are breeding grounds for these kinds of epidemic with inhumane conditions to begin with, but there are also important areas of revolutionaries to grow and to flourish. And we very much do outreach to prisoners and we welcome them into the party when they come out of prison. In conclusion, no major crisis can ever silence our revolutionary voice, even with the social distancing and the other precautions being taken to stop the spread of this deadly virus. We not only have writers, including new, young, dynamic writers, but we have editors, a technical staff online to expose this rotten capitalist system, but we also have social media. We have Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook to spread our views, but we cannot do it alone, friends and allies. Now more than ever, we need your skills and activism on social media and helping to get out an independent Marxist view on workers intensifying their organizing efforts in their own interest due to the crisis, on how Cuba and China are assisting other countries in fighting the virus by putting into practice the socialist concept that healthcare is a right and should be free and not for profit, that the billionaires on Wall Street and their mouthpiece, the federal government, care more about the rise and fall of the stock market than making sure that everyone gets tested and is protected, including healthcare workers who are on the front line of fighting this virus. With our coverage, we want to show how much the Bernie Sanders campaign has helped to popularize socialism amongst broad sectors of our class, especially the youth, 
but we want our readers to see and to read how this pandemic will help accelerate not only the deep hatred and disgust for capitalism, which cannot be reformed, but will show that only a socialist transformation of society from the bottom up can liberate our global class from all forms of social inequality. Let's use social media during this crisis period and eventually, of course, organizing in the streets to help bring to fruition what Karl Marx and Frederick Engels predicted over 150 years ago in the Communist Manifesto regarding the historical task of the working class. And this is their quote. What the bourgeoisie therefore produces above all are its own grave diggers, end quote. And please don't forget to go to workersworld.org to sign up for daily emails on up-to-date articles. And that's on the homepage, workers.org. Help to build a workers' world. Thank you very much. You're listening to Essential Dissent. This episode is audio from a webinar entitled Capitalism is Killing Us, From COVID-19 to Crashing Markets. The webinar, the first in a planned weekly series of webinars, was sponsored by Workers' World Party, a revolutionary Marxist-Leninist political party that supports the struggles of all oppressed peoples. You can find them online at workers.org. We just heard from Monica Moorhead of Workers' World Party. We'll close with excerpts from the Q&A featuring first Taryn Fivik and then Sarah Flounders. So I wanted to speak a little bit to a question that was asking, you know, what we could expect from the military industrial complex in the coming months. First of all, I think that, you know, the idea that we could reach out to revolutionary healthcare workers, perhaps put revolutionary healthcare workers here in the United States in touch with our class, which is fighting on the front lines in other parts of the world would be a really beneficial thing to do because I think that in the coming months in the coming years, you know, and as far as I'm concerned, for all times, we need to have international coordination in this class struggle. That's what Workers World Party is about. That's why it's not called US Workers Party, it's Workers World Party, because we orient ourselves towards the international, that there are no borders in the workers struggle. And I think that as far as what the plans for the US military and industrial complex are, I think that they are genocidal as they have always been. I think that they are out to smash progressive people's movements all over the world, including in the United States, but of course, revolutionary Cuba and China. I think that you will see many troop movements. I think that the US will use this as, like I had said in my remarks, a fox in the hen house moment, where not only are these parasites in the US going to be looking for every way to squeeze every bit of profit that they can out of the most oppressed here and the most vulnerable here, but also you're going to be seeing them make moves across the planet to try and smash these movements. And so I think that having that international solidarity and doing it within the realm of international coordination is going to be especially important in the coming months. And I think that they're going to go all out in whatever way they can to deepen the Pentagon's 
grip on a lot of the parts of the planet. I think that it is instructive at every point to describe this to workers here in the U.S. and say, look, you know, they can't bring you masks and they can't bring you personal protective equipment. They can't bring you medicine. They can't bring you health care, but they sure can't afford to move troops all over the world to kill more people, more people from our class. So I think that it's important always to try and make that connection between the war at home and the war abroad. This is just a whole nother level. This is kicking it up a notch. And so I think that we need to be ready, we need to be agile, we need to prepare ourselves in every opportunity, whether that's on the phone, whether that's through, you know, safely posting up things in your community, whether that's on social media, we should be seeking to make this connection whenever we can. There was also just to say another question asking, do we have plans or can we make plans in the period ahead to host uh, forums or exchanges with revolutionary Cuban and Chinese health workers to share their experiences and help explain how centrally planned economies facilitate the ability of the Cuban and Chinese people to focus resources so rapidly to tackle the survival needs of the pandemic. And I I do want to say, while we try to do that, that this coverage has been in Workers' World newspaper in real detail, explaining just what they're doing in revolutionary countries around the world, even the countries that are sanctioned and without resources. People's mobilization makes a huge difference. China showed what was possible to do immediately, within the first week, to send the DNA, the genome, to the entire world, to scientists and doctors, and to call on the population to self-quarantine, and then to send thousands and thousands of medical personnel to Wuhan. That changed the dynamic. In the past, in a pandemic, there was no protection and no demands, and governments did nothing. Ten years ago, the swine flu in the U.S. started in the U.S., and there were more than 300 and I believe 350,000 deaths globally from this. The U.S. took no measures except to say it was a heavy flu season. So there is a new dimension in what is the responsibility of government to give immediate relief, what are age-old measures of the the self-quarantining, and the most advanced medicine. And certainly Cuba has shown the way with this interferon medication, but even the simplest things, mega doses of vitamin C that China has circulated as being helpful, even to get these basic things here in New York and in many other places across the country, all across the country, are not possible. Panelists can see questions online to please mention the right to refuse unsafe work. It's not only in many union contracts, but it's been fought for and won by many, many walkouts, by coal miners in particular and others. On the OSHA website, it was mentioned not long ago, the 50th anniversary of OSHA, that workers have the right to refuse unsafe work conditions. And we can really see the the doctors and nurses and medical workers making these demands and the teachers that forced, that's who forced the New York City schools to finally shut down when Mayor de Blasio didn't want to do it. In winding up, I'm going to say 
People have asked concretely what you can do. Circulate the 10 demands. Ask people to raise and add their demands. That's very important. Go online at workers.org and subscribe to the daily news. Learn more every day. Find out how you can join because that's a real way to consistent activity. Every one of these questions is about building solidarity. It is the workers' one weapon. The capitalists need racism, sexism, division as much as they need profit. And it's their way to profit, to keep us divided. And again and again, solidarity is the most powerful weapon of the workers, of the oppressed worldwide. So we're about building solidarity. We're about building defense of the prisoners, of the workers here. We're about saying that workers have a right, most basic right, to refuse unsafe working conditions. And we're going to be addressing that in the most living way next week. So thank you for joining us tonight. You can see this whole program on workers.org. It'll also be fully on Facebook, on YouTube. And we're going to keep in every way we can spreading the word. You've been listening to Essential Dissent. I'm Wilton Vaught, producer and host of the series. This episode was audio from a webinar entitled Capitalism is Killing Us, From COVID-19 to Crashing Markets. The webinar, the first in a planned weekly series of webinars, was sponsored by Workers' World Party, a revolutionary Marxist-Leninist political party that supports the struggles of all oppressed peoples. You can find them online at workers.org. You can find Essential Dissent on YouTube, Facebook, and iTunes, and you can download the audio for free via radioforall.net. That's radio, the number four, all.net. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 